You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today it has been two weeks of the Pacers season. They started two weeks ago Wednesday. It's time to see what we've learned so far about this team, including Benedict Mather and Tyrese Halbert looking supremo and a lot of other stuff looking uh, not so supremo. And we'll also talk about Miles Turner when he had to say earlier this week and a bunch of other stuff because podcasts like this are fun and there's always a lot of ways you can take it. Joining me to talk about this stuff, the pod father of Pacers podcast, Dave Sorrell himself. Dave, we were talking about this a little before we started. I just listened to Zach Lowe and Nick Friedel talk about the Nets, and I am so glad we don't have to talk about the Nets today. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, I, 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 last time I was on the pod, you dropped the pod, Father. I thought I had shed it forever, and now it's back. <laughs> no, no. Which is all right, you know. You life were. could be worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's uh, definitely good to not have to linger on that a little bit too long. Uh, but, man, there's, like – it's hard to find something to talk about the Pacers that isn't exciting. It's like every angle, every player, every there's always something good. What a time to be alive, man. This is, um, you know, in, in the past, you've mentioned to me about, you know, why don't the Colts get the same criticism as the Pacers? They kind of seem to be about in the same spot. And people were really optimistic about the Colts, but kind of pessimistic about the Pacers. And, and the answer was that the Pacers had a lot of veterans. They maybe didn't have a lot of ceiling. Uh, the team seemed pretty fully developed, and it looks like that's where they were about to go. But the Colts had a bunch of young guys, and the future seemed uh, unknown, and there was a lot of optimism. And so it's so funny how many times we've had that conversation, and now – Clearly, the fan base has turned on the Indianapolis Colts a little bit, and they are once again in the same position, but crisscrossing the other way, where the Pacers sort of have an unlimited uh, ceiling, um, maybe even kind of legitimately an, an unlimited ceiling versus the Colts. Kind of seem a little bit stuck in the mud, but man, it's um, everything's coming up roses. There's nothing but awesome stuff to talk about. I bet your podcast numbers are way up now because people are excited to hear Pacers content, baby. Yeah, I will not talk about my numbers. That will be a, a <laughs> sort of thing. But um, you're not wrong. So the, the Colts thing for context for people, like this is not a shot at any fan or any media person ever. I don't follow football that closely. So, so when did the Colts beat the Chiefs in the playoffs? That was their last playoff one, right? Like 2018? Luck was still playing. He was, play, he was still playing. Uh, 2018 sounds right. I, don't, I never remember years of stuff. If you told me like the 2016 well, playoffs, I'm like, I don't know whatever so that was. Let, let me pull it up. Um, lost wild card. Okay, they lost the division round. Yeah, 2018. I got that right. So, my my questions was always like, like Reich and McMillan were kind of overlapped at the same time, and neither of them ever won in the postseason. And the Colts always got like this, like growing, not grace, but like you know, okay, this is they're going to be better this year. They're going to be better this year. Whereas the Pacers, I was like, this coach sucks. This core sucks. Change all this stuff. And like, I always was confused by that, given that the success level was the same, but not that. That's why that commentary has popped in my head. But now you're right. It does feel like it's flipped. Um, and part of the reason why is you can pick which young player we go with first. But uh, Tyrese Halburn and Benedict <laughs> Matherin are are awesome. And, and yeah. amongst many things that have been fun about the Pacers this year, I would like to cite Mark Boyle to start. Because Mark Boyle has been on the Pacers radio broadcast for 
decades and decades. He he tweeted this. He said, for contextual purposes, let me say there's never been a day I didn't love this job. That said, I'm having more fun broadcasting games this season than I have in a long time. This team is really entertaining. And I think that is because he's been around the team so long, the perfect person to kind of start talking about this team because those two players have been fantastic, fun, and like you said, you it they're good enough that you can't put a ceiling on what this team could be right now. Yeah, you know, this every year every coach says we're going <laughs> to increase the pace, baby, and we're going to shoot more threes, <laughs> but like they're actually doing it. You know, they're I believe at least top 7 in both uh, three uh, rate and pace, uh, but you know they're legitimately near the top of the league in, in both things, and obviously that in general is kind of fun to watch. But like, it's not as much fun when the players aren't very good. If you've ever watched a bad team just play super fast and just miss everything, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of has a, a charm to it. But like, they're just killing it, and, and you know, so many players that are just dropping bombs from everywhere. I, I don't think. You know, so many Pacer Perimeter players don't seem capable of taking a bad shot right now. And, uh, man, it is super fun. They seem really connected and dialed in. It seems unusual for such a young team to just constantly kind of know where everybody is and they're always making smart cuts. And um, I don't know how many times I've seen someone make a good cut and not get the ball. You know, it's they seem to be really dialed in there. And it's just really super fun to watch. I got to admit that Sabonis era – Maybe a few times, third quarter, I might be kind of scrolling the phone, looking at Twitter a little bit more than I would be looking at the play. Might kind of have to snap my head up if the crowd makes a noise. But like, <laughs> I'm afraid to do that now. I'm afraid to put the a look at the phone while the game is happening because it's you know, I, I keep miss. I'll miss something and I'll be like, oh man. And then now it's phone down and where it used to be, Paul George era, early Vic era phone down during the the game and then maybe kind of tweet something in between i'm kind of that feels good that feels really good i mean at the end of the day forget about quality of play and championships and all that i want to watch basketball you know like i want to watch good quality basketball i prefer to watch the pacers when i do having those two being firmly intersected is is awesome again so um I can be more excited about that just sort of viewing experience and yeah this is the funnest pacers team i've seen in a long time if you're a marketing company person and you're listening, I have an idea for you to talk about uh, numbers to talk about how interesting a team is. Uh, instead of looking at merchandise sales or ticket sales, which are certainly important metrics, look at like people who follow a team closely. If they tweet during commercials or during the game, <laughs> if they tweet just during commercials, they're enjoying watching the game. That would be a good way to describe. And the Pacers, yes, how are our you know, you want to watch it. They're they're fourth and three point attempts per game to what you just said, and sixth in pace. Like when they have the ball, it's whipping around and it's finding shots that they like, and they're making a lot of the threes, which is interesting. And you know, in in the summer, we heard Kevin Pritchard talk about, and you know, we want to find athleticism in shooters, and the players are identifying. And Rick Carlisle said, "We're not going to be last in dunks anymore." You know, and he always is <laughs> like shooters. Like they they clearly put emphasis on. A style that not only is kind of working for the rest of the head, but it's like fun for fans in that way, even if it might have to be sort of tweaked and refined as their roster grows. But right now, it's super fun. I would like to start with Tyrese because I was stoked to watch him before this year. I said, looking at a guy like Mark Price, like there's a chance his statistical trajectory leads him to an all-star this year. So I will start by saying, I think I've said this on the show before, but I'll throw a stat at you, Dave. Uh, Four players in the NBA average more than nine assists per game last season. Nine. DeJounte Murray, James Harden, Trey Young, and Chris Paul, all four of them were all-stars. Tyrese 
is at 9.4 this season. He was at 10 until that five assist game on Monday in Brooklyn. And he's over 20 points a game. Like, it's very possible he's on that path this year, even if the team ends up not being good because his stats are that good. He runs the offense well, and he does things that good point guards need to do. He passes it to his teammates when they're open. He breaks down the defense, and he makes threes. It's like he's just so hard to contain now that he's kind of found that balance of passing and aggression. Yeah, and you know, that's uh, uh, one of the things that obviously can hurt his all-star cases. If you know They're three and five now, but they've been playing uh, a pretty soft schedule. Once that kind of kicks in a little bit more, they'll probably right. fall much farther down the standings. Um, a, he's fun. Uh, I think that helps, you know, if you are kind of grinding out um, a, a good all-star set line on a bottom of feeding team, but you're kind of like not that exciting to watch. I think that that kind of hurts your all-star case a little bit. And then also just efficiency. I mean, like he's playing incredible basketball. I mean, both uh, Halliburton and Matherin are scoring like the lead guys on, you know, like the one seed. They really truly are. And, and that's the thing that really puts it together. That, you know, obviously the, the good stats, bad team thing. I think we've got a better handle on that when we talk about like kind of per shot squared efficiency and all the other nerd metrics and stuff. Get a little whoa, bit of a whoa. better idea. Whoa. There's no such thing as a nerd metric. It's just a oh. metric. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm, I'm the pod father. I used to have to couch every time I used a stat with something like that because that's the way you had to talk in those days. I no, forgot. I, I it's 2022, rule, baby. I don't got to do that anymore. No, I think the rule <laughs> for me is if I know how to calculate it, Good to go. If I don't know how it's calculated, it's a nerd metric. How about that? <laughs> I love that. You know, it's like it's it's like it's like just like one plus sign. Like you're gonna be okay. It's really not that big a deal. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's they're, they're playing at the level of a guy driving the number one offense for the best team in the league. Like that's the kind of level they're doing that, and that's really gonna help. You know, obviously, if they were grinding out points at you know, like a, uh, a two points a shot uh, flat. No, one point. What do I say? Two points. It's been a little, I'm getting a little rusty. But if it was if it was flat there, where it is sometimes when people just get the ball a lot on a bad team, that hurts. But you know, it's it's really tough to look at uh, the way that he's been performing and say that he isn't worthy of it. And I think that 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 could help. And so, um, it, it, one thing that I think is really interesting about talking about Matherin and Halliburton is, in a way, a kind of want to avoid saying too much because when you talk about comparison and you talk about ceiling and where they could be, the names get too high. I don't like saying like, Oh, he's kind of like Chris Polish like right, right now is the way that he's kind of played. It feels weird. I mean, like, you know, obviously being acquired via trade, being a guy that was in the middle of, uh, of the lottery, not the middle of the lottery, but the middle of the draft, kind of in the teens being drafted. Steve Nash was too, you know, like that's that's not an uncommon place for a really excellent point guard to be able to be uh, uh, taken. I almost am afraid to be on a podcast this early into their development <laughs> because it feels like a hot take that when you look at, um, you know, who is a statistical comp for what they're doing. Um, even some of those um, early years of Hall of Fame park guards kind of pale in comparison to what they're doing right now, what he's doing right now. So what do you, I mean, it's, I kind of keep fighting myself making the comparisons of the kind of players that he might want to be, but uh, who was it that said um, it doesn't matter about Chris Paul. He's going to end up being Tyrese uh, Halliburton at the end of the day. I think it was, was it Buddy Heald? I think that put that quote down. I like that. Buddy's the best. They've been teammates their whole career. They just know each other. We were talking about that today at practice, literally today, so good timing. 
And Tyrese said he thinks he know I know Buddy better than anyone in the NBA, which I think has to be true given their whole history together. Yeah, uh, uh, comps are bad in general. Statistical comps are fine because they're just using stats. But like just using stats, that's why I've always talked about Mark Price because Mark Price with the Cavs in the 80s and 90s was one of the few guys throughout NBA history that early in his career could pass it like nobody's business and shoot it from deep like nobody's business. And now that's a more common skill set. You know, Trey did it. Darius Garland's doing it. But in history, it's very rare. And that's why Mark Price is the guy I typically use. But it's impossible to, you know, figure out the perfect comps for a guy like Halliburton. And, you know, we'll take him off the pedestal so you don't feel like you're getting too high here on him. One, his defense has not been very good, right? And that is a problem for, uh, let's see, there's 11 guys. Speaking of Mark Price. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's 10 guys in the Pacers rotation. I would say there's been, you know, questionable defense from eight or nine of them almost every game. Uh, and the other thing about Tyrese that th- this is a consequence of having the ball out and passing a lot. Um, going into last night, he was first in the league in turnovers. He, him and Kate Cunningham were at the top. Um, last night, Kevin Durant decided to take take the reins on the turnover stat lead. So he's now he's second. <laughs> so I can't say he's worse at it anymore. But he, he's not infallible, right? There have been warts along the way. He's also a 22 year old point guard who's putting up 20 and 10. But you know, there are things he's got to get better at to be. Like, if he misses the All-Star game, his defense will be a big reason why. Like, the Pacers will lose because of that, and the turnovers are a problem. But, yeah, he looks awesome. Hey, guys, one short little break here so I can talk to you about prize picks. You can take Luka Doncic to score more than 26.5 points, LeBron to have more than a certain number of rebounds, Katie to have less than a certain number of assists. That's how prize picks works. Their format is simple. It's easy to play, and it's a ton of fun. As it work, you pick two to five players, and if they'll score more or less than their prize picks projections in any stats, and you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, which is what I love about it. Prize picks offers projections of any sport you watch, NBA, NFL, World Series, anything. You name it, they got it. You can make your picks in 60 seconds or less. Super easy. It's safe. It's fast withdrawals, and it's operational. Over 30 states plus Canada. Download the prize picks app. Or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant match deposit up to $100 with the promo code LOCKDOWN. You put in $100, they'll give you $100. You put in $50, they'll give you $50. You get the idea. But you got to use the promo code LOCKDOWN to sign up for that instant deposit match of up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. Let's pivot. Matherin time. Um, just, you know, you've watched basketball for longer than me. Um Best rookie in Pacers since it's a long time, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's him. I, you know, it's uh, wow, you know, wow. Ever you think ever? Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> has anybody really done anything close to this as a as a rookie for the Pacers? I mean, I don't. Who well, okay? Who, who would you know, even argue would be this? Uh, the let, the. Let me say I cut you off because remember Duarte's first eight games. Do you remember them? Oh well, okay. So I'm sorry. Just like with Halliburton. I'm a little fr- uh, almost afraid to kind of put too much of a because I you know because we're so early. I'm just saying like to this point, like if, yes. if he just does this yeah. for the rest of the season, I'm not predicting yeah. that he will keep this <laughs> up, and I'm not predicting that who he is right now is where he's going to end up. But I'm just saying w- the way he's played so far, unquestionably, I think that he would yeah. be the best the rookie, uh, uh, best rookie ever, and um, it doesn't seem to be just a product of a hot shooting streak. I mean, I mean, obviously he's, he's hitting pull up threes and feeling good and doing all of that, but you know, he's, he's making, you know, great drives and in, in finishing with contact and getting to the line a lot. I mean, that's a big one. You know, that's to me, if I'm looking at a heavy ball handler um, on the perimeter and I want to project out 
what this person's ceiling is and who they're going to be long-term, one of the first things I'm going to look at is free throw, right? How often is he getting to the line and creating such a fits for defenses that they are forced to make uh, that kind of contact? And of course, that's the kind of thing that's really going to float your long-term shots can come and go. Uh, there's always going to be a lot of variance, but if you could just bully your way in and make people value and get to the line, that is always going to put a really high floor on your ability to score the ball. And he's getting to the line. I don't think it's sick. I think it's a little shy of that uh, per game. That's awesome for someone that, that is so young and not playing that many minutes. Was it 27 a game or something like that? That is a wild free throw rate so early in his career. And um, uh, that's the thing that I end up really uh, looking at and makes me feel a lot more confident saying that he's going to be able to sustain something in the ballpark of this throughout the rest of the season. And then um, once you establish that, I mean, I think it's hands down the best Pacers rookie that I've seen. It's one of the better rookie guards I've seen get out of the gate. Um, doing this off the bench is just incredible. Yeah, big men have free throw rates that are higher than guards because they're around the basket and they get fouled. So let me go back uh, a couple of years. Victor Oladipo explodes onto the scene for the Pacers. Wow, this dude's amazing. Not a rookie. Not a rookie. Just This is a stat comparison. 27.2% free throw rate. For Victor that year, right? He didn't get to the line a bunch, but he got to the line. Matherin this year is at thirty-eight point six, right? That like that is ridiculously good for a rookie. Yeah. And I brought up Duarte because at three eight games last year, he was at eighteen points per game and like forty-four percent from deep. Like he was so good at the start of last right. year. Matherin right now is at over 20, 20.4 points per game, and forty-three percent from deep. So you could say like just those two stats are comparable. The reason Matherin has the, the clear edge is what you said, the way he's doing it, not. Not the numbers themselves. Getting all the way to the basket, drawing contact, like, oh, seven foot three, Chris Porzingis is in my way, whatever. I don't care. He was a basket. You know, it's like, rookies don't do that. Like, outside of Bancaro this year, who's ruining all of his chances at like NBA records for the last 20 years because he's been better, it, you know, it's incomparable. Like, it's so rare for a rookie to be this good, this confident, and good at many things. And the thing that I always am impressed at with him is his ability to adjust in game. To what's being thrown at him is so impressive. That means he needs to fade off a screen and get beyond the three-point line or go at a guy, get closer to the basket, remove the space the defender's giving you. Like, he always figures it out. And so if he starts hot, he's going to finish with a bunch of points because he can adjust as the game goes on. It's like, that's a really advanced skill for a rookie to have. And so his offensive game is, I mean, I thought he could move pretty well off the ball and be this athletic kind of score type when I watch his Arizona tape. This sort of ability to get to the rim and be the free throw guy who has this high scoring floor, it, it, it's crazy to see so far and, and no signs of slowing down. Oh yeah. No, it's um, I just keep waiting for that game, you know, where he ends up being, you know, three for 20 and he ends up with seven <laughs> points or something. And then, you know, it's like, okay, pump the brakes a little bit and then let it normalize out. Still very early in the season. It hasn't happened yet in times where, it might look like he's a little bit struggling. He's he's changed it up a little bit and, and been able to figure out different ways to score, which is just wild so early in his career to be able to do that. And um, again, just that floor of being able to, I'm just going to have to bully my way in a couple of possessions and just kind of make a few things happen and just see how kind of reset and go from there. Um, kind of a little bit of a veteran-esque ability to do that so far. Really, really awesome to see. Another guy that it's just like, you almost kind of don't want to say anything because it's like, <laughs> Who do you compare this to? Like, what kind of precedent is there for this? If he ends up keeping this up, like, where does he end up in the pantheon of, you know, first season uh, shooting guard uh, seasons? And again, 
just like with Halliburton, the um, kind of efficiency with which he's doing it. I mean, he's not just like lobbing up crazy shots and just like, oh, he's a rookie and let him feel it out. He's just playing incredible basketball right out, out of the gate. I assume that's going to come down a little bit, but um, you know, it's um, um, I, I, again, I, I'm just, no comparisons. I don't want to say. I don't want to say the names that I'm thinking of right now. Um, it is really, really, really impressive. And um, uh, it, I was hoping that with the veteran squad that the Pacers have, being able to trade so many of those guys and get positive assets right away would make that the rebuild kind of a, an ultra-fast rebuild, basically, because you can accelerate how quickly you could rebuild based on being able to get younger players in the building and get picks faster just because of the extra things you pick up of via veterans. Seems to be going pretty well. I mean, they, it looks like they're going to be sitting on three picks next year. One of them might be a premium. They look like they have might two star guards on their team. Um, a lot of weapons um, in the big man rotation. Um, you know, they have – you know, uh, Neesmith and, and Duarte to be able to fill out wing rotations. Um, kind of hard to find super glaring holes in the Pacers build right now, but also an opportunity to say basically any player that they are able to get with a high talent level with where the Pacers will hopefully be drafting um, with their pick. You can kind of take anybody, I think, um, you know, which is a really exciting place to be and and hopefully – trading Turner maybe healed is going to be the last little bit of that um, rebuild. And at first I was a little um, worried that the Lakers picks were, were further down the line, but now I kind of don't care. I mean, like it just seems like they've got plenty of talent. If they get one more premium guy, two more first round picks, man, yeah, just bank a couple picks in 27, uh, 2027, <laughs> 2029. I think that that's kind of fine. Uh, yeah, the far awayness of the picks argument never made sense to me because they have extras next year, right? If they mm-hmm. only had their own and they, you know, were, were slowly adding young talent, it'd be like, yeah, they kind of need it sooner, but they're going to have, I mean, just since the 2020 lottery, right? Neesmith, Halliburton, Smith, Duarte, Matherin, and I, whatever you think of Nembard and Isaiah Jackson in the mix, like it's a lot of pretty high picks in the last three years already add in three more next year. It's like, does it really matter that? The two you'd get from the Lakers are so far away, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, yeah, the thing with Matherin too that it, I forgot I forgot my exact point I was going to make, but uh, <laughs> on his worst game was what I was just looking at shooting the ball. The only game he made less than one third of his shots. He got to the line ten times, and it's like you yep. know that's what you talk about with the floor. It's like yep. he still finishes with sixteen points, and it's like it didn't matter that he missed the yep. shots because he still made the most of his touches. So specifically the game i'm thinking of that was like uh, okay well this is the one where the floor we crash nope he's he's nope. figuring it out he got it right. that, that was really impressive to watch yeah and on espn as well just tearing up the wizards getting to the basket so two promising dudes in the building for the pacers uh dave yeah they are still three and five because they've got two huge problems yes. two huge problems uh one of them is that they they show up to games and they don't realize that it's a game <laughs> that they're playing in until 10 minutes in or so, or what? I, I don't know what is going on. It's very strange because even like the starting lineup itself comes out in the third quarter and it, it's fine. And, or, or it closes the game and it's like, it, you know, this group is, is fine. And the players individually, their stats are fine. And I don't see any fit issues, but <laughs> no matter who it is, Who's injured, who's not? They suck to start games. It's so puzzling. They are currently last in the NBA in first quarter night rating. There's only one team in the NBA 
with the net rating worse than minus 20 in the first quarters. It's the Pacers at minus 27.4. Horrible. Atrocious. They, I think the Wizards game was okay. And the first six minutes of Philly, they played okay. Most of the games, awful starts. I asked Rick Carlisle about it at practice on Wednesday. Today for you, Dan. And, you know, hey, what? what Like, can you work on this in practice? Like, how is this? What is this? Is it a mental thing? It, is, it, it kind of feels like it has to be to me. And he said... There's a strong correlation to strong starts and strong finishes. And intuitively, I think, yeah, it's the same lineup. It's the same guys going against the same guys for their team. And yet, in fourth quarters, they're ninth, plus 10.1 net rating. So, like, I agree with what he says. Like, it makes sense from a strategic perspective. But something about this team and the way they start games that I don't know if they're not ready. I don't know if the that's a strategy thing. It's just... Horrible, and every game they they mostly they figure it out, but they have to claw their way back, and it's cost them. You know that that's probably the difference between them being like five and three or six and two. Yeah, and um, I, I do often end up missing a little bit of the first part of games and have to kind of catch back up on that. Basically, it's like putting <laughs> you kids think they're in amazing. Basically, <laughs> yeah. is that, you know, so I, it's me. I think it's probably when I'm <laughs> tuning in is what's happening. Um, I, 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 a, a dumb, very broad theory of it is is that um, you know the Pacers aren't super good, and I think that maybe part of it a little bit is that teams are like, okay, we're ready to play. Let's see what happens. Let's you know compete as much as we can. Pace kind of fall behind a little bit, and then the team's like, oh, okay, this is just like a super young team. We can probably win this at about 85% energy. And then the Pacers start, uh, you know, Matherin starts hitting shots, and they're like, all right, this is awesome. Let's have some fun. And then, then they start cranking it up, and it's like, okay, now we actually kind of have to play to be able to pull this game out. <laughs> but the train kind of gets rolling uh, when by the time they get to the fourth quarter. And they're the, the cool thing about being young and talented is that when that uh, when it's going – you can, you know, their ceiling, they can kind of touch that ceiling every once in a while when when you're a talented young person. Even if you can't do it exactly minute to minute, you can kind of like invoke the spirit of the player that you're going to be eventually and have that kind of come out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, It's kind of a little bit like that. I, I, it, it's not it's shocking Halloween to me. Is that, over. No spirit invoking will be. <laughs> a general, <laughs> yes, a general um, um, sense of, yeah, it's it's the Pacers, <laughs> and then um, kind of let that settles in, and then the young teams are allowed to kind of get a little bit more traction. It doesn't seem uncommon to me that teams that are really young and talented have to. They're always like, "We always start off so slow." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's because you kind of get your butts kicked in the first quarter, and then the <laughs> team coasts for the rest of the game." It's a little bit of what's happening, I think. We talked about Mark Boyle. Let's talk about the other Mark who's been around the pace forever. Mark Monty has a name for these games. He calls them theorem games, right? Okay, where. Some a lot of times the home team, but you know a team with that starts off so well, you know they're up ten in the first quarter and they're like, oh, this is easy, you know we got this. And then the rest of the game they have trouble getting out of that mindset where the other team's like, crap, we have to play our best to come back. Yeah. Eventually something will give there, I think, because of the way the Pacers play the rest of games. But I think that that is also a factor in this. And I, you always would talk about theorem games, and as a pure, uh, you know, not purely, but as a numbers guy, I was like, that's not a thing. And the more I watch basketball, I'm like, that's totally a thing. That's 100 percent a thing. Like that's that's a certain part of it. But there is, I think. Go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say it's uh, you know sometimes you look at kind of really broad numbers trends and you think things kind of even now but they kind of even out because human nature is still human nature you know right it always affects the numbers and so um yeah i know it's definitely there are games where they, people kind of let off the gas and they have trouble getting it right back in and like um i would i would venture to say that that probably has a decent amount to do with it it would be very funny 
if there was a mandate from the entire Pacers organization where it's like, okay, for the first eight minutes, just like suck. Okay. And then <laughs> get behind a lot and then play as hard as you can. And if you win, you win. And if you, if you don't, whatever, just let the chips fall where they may, but just like, you got to dog it for the first part of it just to keep it. <laughs> that would have be have you good. seen the Incredibles, the movie? I have, yeah, absolutely. You know how uh, with when Dash does his track, oh, it's okay. I see. Yeah, they're screaming for him to get to get second. That, you know, maybe that's <laughs> <when> <laughs> that is that is. It's like that, but they want him to lose right at the end. It's kind of where they where there is so that's yeah, that's a good. They have him just sit down at the start of the race, like all right, you know, at some point you can get him and go. But for now, you can't you can't quite do it. The other thing, and this is related to their bad starts because this is the thing causing their bad starts. Um. You know, they have a lot of young, exciting offensive guys. Aaron Neesmith can dribble now, which is new. Chris Duarte just had 30 points. We talked about Halliburton and Matherin already. Andrew Nembard's got some stuff. Isaiah Jackson could jump over a bus. Like, this is all great. Jalen Smith's had a bunch of good games. Like, yeah, these guys can all score, and their offense is awesome. Um, they can't guard a potted plant. They can't guard a cone, a chair, whatever. Silly basketball. You can't guard a whatever you've heard before. They can't. They cannot defend. And I talked about their four-factor stats yesterday because they're so revealing for this team, right? Like, that's what Dean Oliver's point was. Like, you have to be able to score efficiently and stop the other team from doing so. Uh, They have allowed the worst effective field goal percentage and the highest free throw attempts per field goal attempt. So they're allowing the other team to score basically as efficiently as possible given the shot profile they've allowed and the mix they've allowed. They cannot keep the ball in front of them. Like, Miles Turner, even, who is a good defender, can't even cover for all this stuff. Like, so they're giving up a lot of threes and a lot of shots to the rim. Like, they just can't stay in front of guys. And some of that's personnel. In fact, almost all of it's personnel. So perhaps they, they get better. Young players do, in, in fact, improve. Uh, and perhaps they get better players via team building means going forward. But right now, um, holy smokes, is this a bad defensive team? <laughs> yeah. And, for one thing, especially with such a young squad and guys so early in development, I don't really care about the defense that much. I'm certainly not focusing on it very much when I'm thinking <laughs> sure. about how good players are. Um, you know, it takes an entire team locked in to play good defense, especially in the modern NBA. Uh, they haven't had Miles Turner out there that much. You know, having that true rim protector um, has been a rare sight for the Pacers. Um you know, I think a Jackson really kind of reads more as like a maybe kind of like an Abaca sort of situation where he's a little bit better at swooping in and trying to swat shots than he is at truly anchoring and protecting the rim. Um, and so they're going to have some growing pains with that. I don't would be surprised if there was a ton of emphasis on practice of like, let's get all the little tiny nitty gritty details right to be able to dial in defensively. Right. I think they're just kind of letting them do what, what they can do and, and kind of rolling from it from there. Um, I, uh, it is beneficial to the Pacers really since they are seventh in offense. Um, it, everybody knows what the assignment is this year. If they're like, okay, just, you know, do your best one-on-one, you know, play as hard as you can in that sort of situation. And then like, if you can't get around and pick that, well, it's nearly not the end of the world. (laughs) It's really not going to totally crush us. If we, you know, we kind of get a couple of easy baskets. Um, you know, we, we have plenty of time to really dial that in. Uh, but yeah, it's like experience, uh, uh, communication together. Um, it's really going to be a big part of being excelling at, at, at NBA level, having a good rim protector right now. And they kind of have none of that really. And so it's right. really just about young players just trying to keep guys in front of, of, of you reading plays. Well, um, I haven't seen a ton of like totally egregious, like, Oh, this is like, 
the the team they're they're never going to succeed with the personnel that they have. I mean, these guys are smart players. They are all athletic. Um, I, I don't see any reason why as the team moves forward and really tries to go for it, really start competing that these guys can't crank it up and, and be a little bit smarter about what they do. Um, and so it's not really concerning to me. I think it just really kind of reads more of like, they're just sort of not focused on that. You know, they're trying to play the best offense that they can right now. And then just, you know, whatever it's just vibes on defense and um, doesn't really worry me again, because they don't have the kind of, maybe if they had a lot of unathletic guys that were just sort of like a specialty skill players, then it's kind of, okay, well, that's a little bit of a fundamental roster issue, but I feel like a lot of guys read like players that can play good defensively long-term. And um, to me, it's not really much of a concern. So I think that they do work on defense a lot, but separately from how you just described it, uh, I forget who says it in the office. They're making up random business algorithms and it's KISS, it's KSS. Keep it simple, stupid. I think that is a lot of the defensive focus in practice. Rotations, being together, right? Figuring out the patterns of the other team sets in a way that you can stop it, right? Because it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual defender. One guy's out of position or rotates wrong and someone is open anyway. It doesn't matter what the little detailed stuff you do is, someone will be open. Like Dan Burke was awesome at that little detailed stuff, how to close out, what angle to come from, where to start, all that stuff. He was awesome at that. They don't have Dan Burke anymore. So I think they're doing what I think they're doing without getting too much into it is, is keep it simple, right? Like the rotations and being connected kind of stuff that is very helpful long-term. You need to be good at that and dialed into that to be a good defense at some point and less of the like close out one step shorter or start from here instead or that kind of stuff, which I think they're doing. I don't think they're ignoring that. I don't want to say that they are at all. But I, I, I think that team concepts, especially with a new group, is more important for this team, if that makes any sense. No, uh, 100%. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that um, making it so that it, it, they're not drilling down to the tiniest little things uh, defensively kind of seems like it's showing. And it, it's, it's one thing that's you talk about Dan Burke. It's an interesting thing with Rick Carlisle where, you know, he was an offensive coordinator for the Pacers uh, in, in his first iteration of coaching, you know, had that um, excellent Pacers offense that went to the finals. Um, and then, of course, the Dallas teams, also a team that uh, mostly hang their hat on offense and, you know, rose the defense to a championship level. In between, he had all these like really slug, slogging offensive groups that had really strong defensive cores. Um, on a couple of different franchises. So um, his ability to kind of flip-flop between those uh, um, and, and kind of master each side of the ball is the one reason why I was excited when Rick Kyler came uh, along in the first place. But I do think at heart he is an offensive coach. I think that's what he likes the most. I think that's what gets him the most excited to be able to of the coach. And, you know, if you're going to have real young guys, if you're not super concerned with grinding out every tiny little win and you're just basically trying to develop as many high-level um, um, offensive players as you can, letting them kind of just do general defensive concepts without getting really nitty-gritty on the details um, I think serves a lot of masters in that respect. And um, um, it, it, it's showing up in the offensive numbers. Again, you know, a lot, I've seen young teams play with lots of pace, try to do sort of an analytics minded uh, shot profile and just be bad at it. You know, like it's, it's, it's one thing to do it. And then it's another thing to actually execute it. And they are crushing it right now. Uh, and so 
Um, I don't see much of a reason to focus on anything other than just dialing that in and getting that engine as strong as it possibly can. They can worry about defense next year. <laughs> yeah, and, and the last thing too is, you know, I think there's less specifics of. Well, I want to talk about Miles Turner. Like mm-hmm. funnel to miles used to be a thing, or like you you can do that as they work on more team level stuff. You don't get into like personnel specifics as much. You know, when this guy's out there, do this. When this guy's not, do this. All these little changes, which means Turner is still an amazing defender. His block numbers are ridiculous. You know, I, I don't have to pitch that to anybody anymore, but their defense hasn't been that much better with him on the floor this year. The numbers say it's been worse. I mean, obviously, it's been three games. I don't give a bleep about that, but, you know, that's a little different in how he is useful for the team. And that is one, a discussion on defense, and two, my segue into the last interesting thing. Uh, that I want to talk about from the first week of the season. Uh, if you're interested in more on this, I talked about it on Monday's podcast and wrote two stories about it because it's a big deal. Uh, Miles Turner on the Woj pod. Fans did not like it. Um, <laughs> asked directly about if he would do the trade if he was the Lakers. Asked directly about the business of the NBA. He answered the questions proposed to him. Uh, what did you think of all that? Because I shared my thoughts, um, but I want to hear more people's. Yeah, you know, when... when- the, obviously, a lot like a lot of NBA fans, I have the the Woj notifications turned on, <laughs> and so I saw that right away. Just the initial brush reaction to me was just like, I don't know if I've ever heard like a player like comment on that publicly before, and I thought that that was unusual. But that was it. It just it was just notable. It just sort he of got unusual. asked. You know what I mean? It's not like he what? was like, "Let me talk about this." You know? Yeah, and like to kind of like undercut that a little bit. Like he also did a podcast with Adrian Wojnarowski. Like he kind of knew <laughs> yeah, yes. the kinds of things that he would be talking about. So what are you what are you, what are you referring to here? <laughs> I can't completely let him off the hook about the fact that he took the interview. Yes. You know, he obviously would know that a lot of the questions are going to be oriented about uh, his future and, you know, transactions. That's what Woj does. So he, you know, knew that those questions were going to be coming right away. He didn't have any sort of like, oh, come on, Woj, I can't talk about that. Come <laughs> on. I came here to promote whatever. You know, like he was just like, he was ready to answer that question. So he knew that the, he knew what he was doing when he was in that interview. But like, that's one thing that I, I think is really refreshing about with this young team. Um, following them and kind of the vibe that's going on right now, I don't think any of these players are under any illusion that like maybe Miles Turner resigns. We don't know, but he might get traded. And like, it's not necessarily as focused on everybody needs to buy into the Indiana Pacers right now. If you're not committed to the blue and gold, then you got to get out. You know, like no one's having conversations like that. They're just trying to feel their way through the the, the, the league and like trying try to make good plays and just like supporting each other and like everybody like half these guys might get traded they don't know you know it's um, I'm sure that they are have a, a team spirit but in a team spirit of just like let's just all get better and then let's just see what happens you know and so when somebody is in that ecosystem and it's like man this last year of my deal I might get traded or I might leave but I'm just going to play the best basketball I can and like, you know, uh, participate in team outings and like make jokes on the plane. And then like, you know, maybe I get traded in a couple of weeks, who knows, you know, let's just play the best stuff that we can while we can. Um, I think that that vibe can work. And it just kind of seems like that's what the team has right now. It's just none of these guys know what franchise are going to be a part of in three years or what the team's going to look like. They might be competing for a title. They might be redoing the, uh, um, uh, blowing it up and going back into the lottery because it didn't work out. I mean, no one has any clue, but like, it just feels like the Pacers are like embracing that. I've seen teams kind of go through this and they're like, 
we're trying to compete for the playoffs. We're trying to win every game. And they really go over the top with that kind of stuff. And they're like, we got to build a culture and you got to buy in. Was it Jim Boylan with the, the lunch pail, <laughs> the, the, the time cards? Oh, hit yeah, that yeah. on the way in. Yeah. yeah. It's too early for that, man. It's just like, just play good basketball. Relax, have fun, play the best basketball you can. Obviously, pay attention to, to breaking down and game film and stuff. And like, you know, get better every single day. But like in the let's double down and go crazy. Uh, the the Bulls offseason where they finally started lifting weights and then they won a title. <laughs> you know, it's like that offseason hasn't happened yet. You know, they're just a young team just kind of trying to figure things out. And I think it's totally okay to be like, yeah, I'm probably leaving next year. It's like, oh, that's cool. You know, like uh, I had a great game yesterday. Can't wait for the next one. You know, talk openly about that. Talk about some veteran experiences. Hey, what was it like on the Kings? And what was it like playing with Paul George? And like have those kind of stories. And then like whatever happens, happens. You'll know what happens in the next few months, especially when they keep playing well. I think that that can totally exist in that ecosystem. And it's been talked about so publicly. It's been so out there what the Lakers trade is. They seem to want to swap Westbrook for those two guys. They probably have one pick on the table. And now the question is, did the Pacers go for the one or do they hold out for the two and do the Lakers off the two? It just seems like everybody's kind of like knows that off the top of their head. And so it seems stupid to criticize somebody for just acknowledging that publicly. I don't see any reason why they can't, you know, and um, I think. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) Well, I was going to say the one thing that people would always say. Like, why not just talk about it? It's like, well, what was it going to do to the locker room? It's like, I don't think it's going to do anything to the locker room. I think they probably made jokes about right. it, you know? Well, I, it's, well, it's, it's not, not at this that. state. You know, if, if that. they – what's that? Then, he's like, after the ESPN game, when him and Buddy Heald were both awesome, yeah. he said him and Buddy Heald were joking about it on the bus. Like, is that a secret? Yeah. No, absolutely not. And um, I, I think that even the, the, the younger guys might be like, Hey, if this guy stick around a long term, cool. They seem nice. We, we're playing well together. If we get two future picks, that's cool too. It's just like it's all upside, you know. And it's like, um, you know, I think things get a lot tougher. Things get a lot harder. Feelings start getting hurt. Things people get mad at each other when you really start putting together and start trying to win. Like now we kind of like we cracked that eight seed. We got waxed by a contender, but we're like it was like four tough games, and now we're ready to like really go for it. When that happens. If Miles Turner drops an interview like that, it might be kind of like, dude, I don't know if that's right at the time. But right now, it's just, it's you know, everybody's just hanging out. Nobody knows what the future is. I don't. Th- I would be shocked if that didn't even maybe kind of improve the locker room where they just start. Now they're teasing Miles Turner about like, oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not LeBron. You know, like you know, I bet that those jokes are happening. And it's, I, I, I think that um, any sort of backlash on that, but I don't feel it. It's not for, I, I don't think it's there. It is unusual, though. I mean, like, it's obviously noting on, like, it's odd. But I think that maybe we're moving to an era where our players are going to be talking about that stuff um, even more openly, and especially on teams that haven't quite put it together yet. You know, I do like the idea that they are not pretending like every tiny little – what if Larry Brown was coaching this team? Like, <laughs> it was, I think he'd be pissed about that. Every little defensive mistake, he'd call a timeout. Matherin, you're out of the game. I don't care if you have 22 points. Uh, you made a very small mistake on uh, the uh, pick-and-roll coverage. You're yanked out. That's not the what they're going with right now, and I think that, that this kind of interview is going to fit really um, well into that. And, you know, hard to argue with the results. So Turner said – here's two bits of context that I included when I talked about it that 
I think are important. Turner said on the show, front office is good at communicating this stuff, right? Like, not a secret. The team that means the team knows, and I say that the team knows because remember last year. This is this is something to date back to the old Pacers that matters now. Last year in December, it, it became public and talked about by a lot of the Pacers that there was a meeting with Carlisle and Pritchard and Lavert and Brogdon and Sabonis and Turner, where they were like, "Hey guys, we are we are going to explore trade talks for you guys." Like they do that. They it's a team thing. It's not like they're like like, "Hey Miles, come here." Like I got to, like it. They yeah. it's an open thing that this front office is good at. So it's not like. They're talking to Miles about his future, and none of the other dudes have any idea, you know, especially because Buddy's also involved. So that's why I think that it wouldn't change any team camaraderie or anything. Like, I yeah. think everybody knows, right? So, yeah, well, it, you know, it, different. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, you know, like it was years ago, there was an interview with Kevin Pritchard, and he said, We're going to have try to do this thing where we're every single time something is out there, we're going to talk to them very openly. At that time, it was hard for me to know, like, is that kind of BS? It's just it's going to be an interview that like nobody remembers, and then everything's going to go back to the status quo. They're going to be really serious about it. And one thing that I thought was really revealing about that was when, uh, you know, Brogdon gets traded. Off season goes on, and then a couple of weeks ago, he does an interview where he said that the Pacers came to him with a. I think it was. Uh, oh man, I'm already. I'm. I'm getting old. I'm, I'm starting to lose it. Who was the the with the Wizards? Were maybe considering uh, moving the ten for a point guard, and then once that passed, he's like, uh, "There's a couple of teams. The p- trade packages seem roughly the same. Pick one." And he's like, ah, oh, Boston. I pick Boston. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll do the Boston trade. That sounds good. You know, like uh, I, I thought it was awesome that um, a that they did that. They made that smooth. That they honored a guy that like signed with them intentionally. You know, said I'm going to be here for four years, and now we're going to move you. It's like you should have a little bit of agency in that whenever we can make that possible. But also the fact that the Pacers, to my knowledge, never even bragged about that. I'm not aware of a time that they ever even mentioned that that happened. It took right. Brogdon revealing that to make that, uh, but I thought that that spoke volumes and like that they're really kind of putting their mouth ma- uh, money where their mouth is, and especially when they had to blow up that veteran team and move all those guys, it seems like that might have paid really big dividends and might have created a situation now where Miles is just kind of, eh, am I, I going to Lakers? I think I'm worth two picks, and then you know maybe I'll be here, maybe I'll play out my contract, maybe I'll resign. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just go and play cool basketball, play basketball and have fun. You know, like. That really seems to be working, which is a, a really interesting thing. And I think it's been a while since that interview came out. I feel like they were maybe even slightly a little prescient about the way that the NBA was going, the way that the culture of players was going. Being a little bit on the leading edge of that level of communication has aged extremely well for the Pacers, I think. Yeah, KP as a player got traded, and he said he didn't, you know, he didn't know when it happened, like he found out the hard way. So I think that's a factor in this too. And it's all just a trauma response to what happened to him. <laughs> the the final point I'll make too is like the funny part, like it obviously sounds weird because the question was, would you do the trade as the Lakers, right? So there's a specific team involved right. on the other end. But Miles' answer was basically just like, I would because I think I'm good. Like he basically <laughs> said, like, yes, I'm good. Like oh, the horror. That's not a bad thing to say. Yeah. Oh no. You know, the the I thought the the weirder part to hear publicly, it's not even weird. He, he's right. Is he, he was like I'm on an expiring contract. Like they have to think about it. They can't lose me for nothing. You know, like that was almost weirder to hear because he's extension eligible. It's like, you're not, you don't have to be an expiring contract miles if you don't, if you don't want to be, but that doesn't matter because everybody knows the writing on the wall the whole time. So it's worth talking about. I think that it will be a constant discussion, but it will be buried until either Russell Westbrook has another terrible game or someone (laughs) says something publicly about it, which 
could happen at any moment. It only took 12 days into the season for it to uh, to spookily resurface on Halloween. So uh, such is life for this Pacers team. Uh, Dave, I got nothing else. So unless you do, I only have two more minutes till my next thing. So uh, I think we need to get out of here. I, I agree. This is a lovely chat. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, and um, it's fun um, to talk about Pacers again. That's I know you got to grind this out every single day. I know that you're probably no one is happier about how much fun it is to talk about the Indiana Pacers than the guy <laughs> that records a daily podcast sometimes by himself. <laughs> I used to be able to talk about Vic every day. And then it just slowly got less and less players <laughs> worth daily discussion. And now they're back to having players worth daily discussion. Beautiful. Uh, fantastic stuff. Dave is on Twitter at MillerTimePod. The, again, the pod father of Pace <laughs> Land. Always the, the sage all-seeing opinions of Pace <laughs> Land. <laughs> on Twitter at T East NBA. I still, uh, because Elon has not fully taken over, have the little check mark so you know it's me. <laughs> that, will not be the, that will not be the case in however many days until that becomes implemented. Uh, oh, and this boy. podcast is at Locked On Pacers. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>